The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We will be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Well, let's uh, turn on our Bibles to the book of Daniel, and uh, we're continuing to introduce ourselves to this great book of Daniel. As we observed last week, the book of Daniel is a book that reminds us that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind, and He bestows it on whomever He wishes. The invisible hand of God is moving all the chess pieces across the board. He will topple over kings and kingdoms. When he sees fit, and God will even raise up an evil, tyrannical, dictatorial leader for his own sovereign purposes. As evil as uh, various kings were in the scriptures, people like Pharaoh, like Pilate, in this case Nebuchadnezzar, as evil as they were, they still demonstrated God's power, that God's name would be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. And God is doing the same thing today. God will even raise up an an evil, immoral, God-rejecting dictator for a time, but that does not mean that God has lost control. A nation like Russia may be out of control, but that doesn't mean that God has lost control, right? In fact, God will allow an evil nation to become strong in order to display his power over that nation when he finally takes them down. History plays the rerun of that same story over and over and over again, right? Babylon was like deja vu all over again. Egypt rose and Egypt fell. Assyria rose, Assyria fell. Babylon rose and Babylon fell. And the same will be true for any nation and any leadership today that rejects the God of heaven. Even in our own American nation today, we're being held by the slender thread of God's mercy. I don't don't know if you know that or not. (laughs) But we are being held by the slender thread of God's mercy. In a book published in 1835, two British ministers wrote about their travels to the United States in 1834 to promote peace and friendship. And listen to what they wrote about America. They said, America will be great if America is good. If not, her greatness will vanish away like a morning cloud. And the the morning cloud is quickly vanishing. Sadly, all we need to do is uh, turn on the news uh, to see the vanishing cloud. You know, our our hearts break for what we see going on across our nation in Texas. We're we're crushed when we hear about the lives of innocent children being taken away in acts of senseless violence. We'll hear a lot about laws and programs and restrictions and security and protection. And we need to talk about all those things. I mean, you know, children are, are dying, innocent lives being swept away. We need to talk about all those things. But Daniel reminds us that there's another discussion that we also need to have. And it's the discussion about the connection between human suffering and the sins of our nation. Because that's also something that God is doing on the earth. We see it in Daniel's life. He was an innocent teenager who got swept up in the judgment against the nation of Judah. Daniel was only in his early teens when the nation was besieged. He was taken away into exile. Daniel wasn't in Babylon because of something that he had done. It wasn't because of his own personal sins that he was taken away. But he still prays in Daniel chapter 9, and he says this in verse 4. He says, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and princes, our fathers, all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is this day. When when Daniel was saying that, it wasn't because he wasn't listening to the prophets. He was actually reading the prophet. He was paying attention to the prophet. He was obeying what the prophet was telling him to do. He was obedient all across the book of Daniel. You see Daniel walking in obedience, but he still prays in solidarity with the nation. He says, oh Lord, we have sinned. 
Lord, we have sinned. We have not listened to you. Open shame belongs to us. He suffered innocently, but he still suffered in solidarity with his nation. And whether we suffer innocently or sinfully, we would be foolish if we didn't also recognize that if God judges us as a nation, it's only what we've been asking for for a long time. (laughs) And God may even use a wicked and godless nation to bring that judgment about. And today I want to introduce you to to the arm of God's judgment in the nation of Babylon and the servant of God's judgment in the king Nebuchadnezzar. So uh, today is going to be an introduction, another introduction to an introduction. <laughs> uh, we won't always do this, but, uh, uh, but we will wade deeper into the text next week. And uh, don't expect me to put pictures on my PowerPoints next week, okay? Uh, this, is, this is one time only. If you miss it, you miss it, all right? But uh, let's take a look at uh, Daniel chapter 1 as we uh, uh, just start to, to jump into this book again. Daniel chapter 1. It says, in the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank, and he and appointed that they should be educated three years, at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them, from the sons of Judah, were Daniel... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Why don't you bow with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you once again, and um, Father, we, we do just pause for a moment, Lord, and uh, we do pray for those uh, victims, uh, Lord, even this week as we've uh, seen the, the news and heard the reports. Uh, Father, as our hearts grieve, uh, Father, we um, uh, look at tragedies like this that happen in our, our nation, and uh, Father, we uh, often wonder why and There are many people who try to offer solutions. But Father, I pray that we as your people would turn to our God. Father, that we would seek you for mercy. Father, that we would confess our sins publicly. Father, that even like Daniel prayed, that that we would cry out, Lord, we have sinned. We've not listened. Open shame belongs to us. Father, in this nation which is so often strayed so far, Father, we're grateful for those that are are faithful to you. We're grateful for the word that's preached here, the gospel of Jesus Christ that's still proclaimed across the nation. Uh, But Father, there are so many people who are quickly running in the other direction as fast as they can to get away from any kind of accountability before God in heaven. And then when tragedy strikes, they wonder where God is. So Father, I pray that you would help us as your people to, to humble ourselves before you. Father, that you would, you would hear us as we pray. And uh, Father, that uh, we just pray as we uh, look into Daniel that uh, you, Lord, would uh, just uh, grant us blessing that we would understand these things. And Father, help me as a weak instrument to be a blessing to your people, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we think about Babylon, the first thing that I want to remind you about is ancient Babylon, okay? Ancient Babylon. Uh, the Babylon that we're introduced to in Daniel chapter 1 is actually what's known as the Neo-Babylonian Empire, or the, the New Babylonian Empire. Uh, we, we pointed this out last time we were together that the, the Babylon that we're introduced to in, in Daniel is not the first version of Babylon. Uh, the first time we were introduced to this location of Babylon in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 11. Now, this is the same location which was known as the Plain of Shinar, and uh, after the worldwide flood, this is the place where Mankind decided that he would take his stand against his creator. If you remember the story of the worldwide flood, it was God's will that mankind multiply and fill the earth. But two chapters after that, after the flood, we find all mankind gather together and they have their own sinful agenda and they express their rebellious desire to do the exact opposite. We don't want to be scattered across 
the earth. We all want to stay together, and we're determined to do what God says we shouldn't do. In chapter 11 and verse 4, they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heavens, and let us make for ourselves a name. Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth, which is exactly what God told them to do. He said, We don't want to be scattered across the face of the earth. And the way God dispersed men across the face of the globe was by confusing their languages. The word Babel refers to the confusion of their languages. It comes from a, a Hebrew word that means confused. All of a sudden, you know, pass me another brick sounded like yo gabba gabba. And they, they had no idea what, what's, what's going on here. You know, all of a sudden we can't even work together. You know, so they were spread across the entire globe, gathering together in the groups of those that they could understand and spreading across the globe in that way. In Genesis chapter 11 and verse 9, it says, Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. Uh, that location is uh, located in modern-day Iraq, uh, actually 50 miles south of Baghdad, where the ancient location of Babel was. And this ancient site of Babel eventually came to be known as Babylon. Uh, Babylon comes from that word Babel for, for confusion. And uh, Babylon in Scripture, as we look into Scripture, the, uh, the Babylon eventually came to be synonymous in Scripture with the city of man that stands in rebellion against God. So later in Scripture, when Peter wants to speak about Rome's rebellion and the anti-God stance that they took, he refers to them not as Rome, but he refers to them as Babylon. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13, he says, She who is in Babylon sends you greetings. And it's clear that Peter isn't speaking about the ancient site of Babylon. He's speaking about Rome. But he refers to Rome as Babylon because they're anti-God. They want nothing to do with our God. So he speaks about that as a rebellious people. Those who are in Babylon greet you. In a similar way, an, an angel in the book of Revelation looks upon the rebellious wor world, and we find these words. Revelation 18 and verse 1 it says, After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. And again, Babylon here is being used as a metaphor for rebellion and wickedness. And when Babylon is introduced to us in Daniel, they're introduced to us as the enemies of God. And here they are besieging the city of God. Babylon was a wicked people, but God raised up this wicked people for a purpose. Let's talk about the history of the Neo-Babylonian Empire. Uh, this version of Babylon shot up like a rocket out of nowhere. And after God was done, they fizzled out just as fast. Like I mentioned, there was a, an earlier version of Babylon, but according to history, this newest version of Babylon, the Neo-Babylonian Empire, came into power in the 7th century B.C. Now, before this time, Babylon existed under Assyrian domination for uh, over 100 years, as far back as the 9th century, almost 200 years under Assyrian rule, and uh, they were forced to pay tribute as a sign of respect to Assyria. Uh, but they, they, they were subjugated to, to Assyria during this time. But in 627 B.C., the Babylonian tribes were sick of being dominated uh, and joined together under a southern Babylonian general named Nabopolassar and his son Nebuchadnezzar. The Chaldean tribes that uh, Nabopolassar and Nebuchadnezzar came from were in the south of Babylon, and uh, they re-entered into Babylon to try to take control back of their city. And the Assyrian occupation in northern Babylon in 627 was attacked by Nabopolassar, who was leading an army against Assyria. And they defeated the Assyrian occupation. And even when Assyria sent reinforcements to try to take Babylon back, Nabopolassar was able to beat them back out of Babylon again. And in November of 626 BC, all of Babylon, the north and the south, were united, and they all hailed Nabopolassar as their new king. And they continued to wage war against Assyria. In 615, they defeated another Assyrian invasion. 
In 614, they actually took the battle to Assyria. We're not going to wait for uh, Assyria to come here. We're going to take the battle to them. And actually, if you see on the right-hand side, they're kind of going up towards Assyria. Assyria would have been uh, in the north. In 612, they actually went into the capital of Assyria. And just as Scripture predicted, the capital of Assyria fell. And you should all be familiar with the capital of Assyria uh, because it's the same city that Jonah once refused to go. You know, he took a, uh, a short trip on a long fish, I heard. It was to the city of, of Nineveh. And Jonah preached there about 760 B.C., and Nineveh repented. There was a massive revival, but that revival didn't last. And in the year of 612, the judgment that Jonah spoke about actually finally came to Nineveh. The judgment that Jonah spoke about came to pass. God was taking down another nation, and he was going to use Babylon to do it. And the book of Nahum, Nahum the prophet, he speaks about this judgment on Nineveh, and he says this about Nineveh. He says, Behold, I'm against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will lift up your skirts over your face and show to the nations your nakedness and to the kingdoms your disgrace. I will throw filth on you and make you vile and set you up as a spectacle And it will come about that all those who see you will shrink from you and say, Nineveh is devastated. Who will grieve for her? Where will I seek comforters for you? Basically, he says, you're going to be taken down and there's going to be nobody to shed any tears for you. After defeating Nineveh in 612 BC, Babylon faced off against the might of Egypt in 609 BC. You know, Egypt is watching all of this play out and Assyria is struggling for whatever life they have left. And they send word to Egypt, which is over here down on the, the left-hand corner on the bottom of, uh, of the screen here. So they send word to, to Egypt to say, Egypt, come up and help us, you know, up in Carchemish, which would be at the top. They're, they're, they're pleading for help. Can somebody come and help us? We actually read about Egypt's march to Babylon going up to try to help the Assyrians in uh, the book of Second Chronicles. Why don't you flip over there? Second Chronicles chapter 35 read about this, uh, this march of, of Egypt here to, uh, to help out those who are in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in Carchemish trying to help out the Assyrians here. And for some reason, which uh, people kind of struggle to fig- figure out, like, why did he do it? For some reason, Josiah, who was the king of Judah at the time, tried to stick his nose into a battle that didn't belong to him. Look at Second, Second Chronicles. Look at uh, chapter 35, starting at verse 19. Second Chronicles chapter 35, starting at verse 19. It says, In the 18th year of Josiah's reign, this Passover was celebrated. After all this, when Josiah had set the temple in order, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to make war at Carchemish on the Euphrates. And again, this was to battle Babylon. And Josiah went out to engage him. Why? What's Josiah doing out here? You know, the Lord didn't direct him to do this. Here he is taking matters into his own hand. Look at verse 21. It says, But Necho sent messengers to him saying, What have we to do with each other, O king of Judah? I'm not coming against you today, but against the house with which I am at war, and God has ordered me to hurry. Stop for your own sake from interfering with God who is with me, so that he will not destroy you. However, Josiah would not turn away from him but disguised himself in order to make war with him. Nor did he listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, but came to make war on the plain of Megiddo. The archers shot King Josiah, and the king said to his servants, Take me away, for I'm badly wounded. So his servants took him out of the chariot, carried him in the second chariot which he had, and brought him to Jerusalem where he died, and was buried in the tombs of his fathers. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah." Josiah got caught up in a battle that had nothing to do with him. He had no business in this. God didn't need Josiah's help, but he struck, stuck his nose in a place that it didn't belong, and he lost his life for it. He didn't have to try to interfere in the, the kingdoms of, of men in this case. That had nothing to do with Judah. That was between Egypt and Babylon. You know, let, let them work that out. Proverbs 26, 17 says, Like one who takes a dog by the ears is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. Egypt would have defeated 
would have been uh, defeated without Josiah's help. And the death of Josiah marked the death of whatever spiritual revival was happening back in Judah. Josiah's sons became kings. His son Joahaz became king in the place of his father, but he only reigned for three months. 2 Kings 23, 32 says, He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that his fathers had done. Pharaoh Necho from Egypt came back and imprisoned him, took him away, and brought him to Egypt where he died. Took Josiah's son away. Jeremiah mourns over Joahaz. Jeremiah 22, he says, Weep continually for the one who goes away, for he will never return or see his native land. He will never return there, but in the place where they led him captive, there he will die and not see this land again. Sad time for Judah. Egypt removed Joahaz, set up his brother Eliakim in his place, another one of Josiah's sons. Just to demonstrate their authority over Eliakim, they changed his name from Eliakim to Jehoiakim. And it was clear that Babylon was going to be too powerful for, for Egypt as they're continuing to fight, but they still had some kind of power and authority over Judah, so they exercised their authority there. But finally, the victory was won, and Babylon became the new power in the world. And this all happened in only 22 years. From the time that uh, Nabopolassar was crowned as king in 627, and by 605, B.C., Babylon was the greatest superpower in the world. The entire world changed in only 22 years. Incredible to think about that. A nation that wasn't taken seriously, a nation that wasn't taken seriously in that day became the greatest superpower the next day. And the same thing can happen in our day, can't it? It's amazing how history repeats itself. Our own nation wouldn't have been considered a superpower before the Revolutionary War, right? But in, in the short years between 1775 and 1783, America was now considered a superpower. And don't think that it can't move in the other direction just as quick. Superpowers can become whatever you want to call them, you know, poor powers, weak powers, run-of-the-mill powers. God can do it just as quick in the other direction. But here you have Babylon that just came up out of nowhere. 22 years, and now all of a sudden they're the the king of the, the, the hill. And that's why our trust has to be in a sovereign ruler who is over the nations, right? We, we, we can't just trust in men. We can't trust in the arm of man. We, we trust in the Lord, and that's why we need to humble ourselves before the great and awesome God, the God that we've sinned against even as a nation. What, what would it be like if instead of all the blame shifting that goes on, if we heard our national leaders address the next tragedy in this way? Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps His covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keeps His commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. What, what a breath of fresh air that would be. I went to, to uh, Sight and Sound um, to, this week to, to see David on, on Friday, and uh, I was reflecting on what it would be like to be part of a nation where the king would just openly confess his faith in God. Can, can you imagine that? Can you imagine a leader openly confessing God and inviting the entire nation, come and worship God with me? He is the king of all kings. Worship the Lord with me. Can you imagine a, a leader of a nation saying, let, let, us, let us humble ourselves before this great and awesome God and confess our sins before him? We have sinned greatly against God. We have not listened to the voice of his prophets. We're not listening to the scriptures. What would it be like to be a part of a nation that would say, open shame belongs to us, O Lord, but to you be all the glory. What would it be, a, be to be a part of a nation like that? In one scene, you know, David is shouting before the nation, the Lord, he is king. And as the ark is coming in, he's dancing until his clothes fell off because he's so excited about the presence of God. Can you imagine being a part of a nation like that? We don't just have to imagine that. One day, according to Scripture, we'll live in that kind of reality. If you're a believer, you'll live in a world where we will openly acknowledge and reverence the King of all kings. In uh, Psalm 96, in verse 11, it says, Let the heavens be glad. Let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar in all it contains. Let the field exult in all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for He is coming. 
for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. I love what Daniel said over in Daniel chapter 7, verse 21. He says, I kept looking and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the ancient of days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. That time is going to come where we will openly acknowledge our Lord, the one who's the true ruler, the true king of kings. We'll, we'll, we'll hear that kind of praise. We'll hear the, the leader of our world, the leader of our nation, leading everybody in worship because he's the one who's directing worship towards himself. That's going to happen. Daniel chapter 7, verse 27 says, Then the sovereignty, the dominion, the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. It's my prayer that if you're here today that you're going to be part of that kingdom. And the only way that you'll be part of that kingdom is that you're bowing the knee to Jesus Christ now. That you bow the knee to Jesus Christ. There's only one way to be included in that kingdom, and it's to worship the king. Bow the knee to the king. Trust in the king. Trust in him that you might have life. I love what it says in uh, Matthew 13 and 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field which a man found and hid again, and from the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. To, to be a part of this kingdom is worth sacrificing everything that I would be a part of that kingdom. I want to be a part of the kingdom. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. If, if you're here and you're, you're holding on to anything else, if you're, if you're valuing anything above that kingdom, sell it! Get rid of it! Turn away from it! So that you can be part of this kingdom. What would we... Like, like the scripture says, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his soul? What is, what is worth exchanging for this kind of kingdom? Can't wait to be a part of the kingdom. We're, 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 until that time comes, we're... We're, we're waiting, we're eagerly waiting for that kingdom to come. This time, Babylon is uh, being ruled by Nebuchadnezzar, as we already talked about. Nebuchadnezzar was considered to be God's servant at this time, bringing judgment, not the, the kingdom to come. And God spoke to Judah through the prophet Jeremiah. It says in Jeremiah 25 and verse 8, Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Because you've not obeyed my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, declares the Lord, and I will send to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against its inhabitants, against all these nations round about. I will utterly destroy them and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. And that's exactly what the Lord did. 22 years, entire landscape of the world changed. Babylon defeated Assyria, defeated Egypt, and Judah was next on the list. And that's what we find over in Daniel Chapter 1, Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. To, to lay a siege on a, on a city was a strategy of warfare. When a, 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 an approaching army would surround the city and all of its territory to bring that city under control. If, if you remember, many of the ancient cities were walled in for their own protection uh, that's where uh, many of the, the people would live within the city walls for their protection. And in many cases, the, the water for your city was outside the city. The gardens where you would grow crops were outside the city. You know, where you would pasture your flocks were outside the city. So if somebody cut off access, if they surrounded your city, they would all they would have to do is just wait for you to starve <laughs> because they're cutting off all access to supplies. So basically, you'd be sitting in your own grave Waiting to starve to death. That's what Rabshakeh, a spokesman for Assyria, said to Judah in Isaiah 36. He spoke about the people being doomed to eat their own dung and drink their own urine. Why did he say that? You're, you're going to run out of supplies. <laughs> We're going to stay outside until you starve because there's no way that you can get food from the outside. But a city could also negotiate terms of surrender, which is what Jehoiakim did. So in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And 
Basically, Jehoiakim just gave him what he wanted. What did he do? This is under the, the fall of Jehoiakim. He gave allegiance to the king of Babylon. Allegiance to the king. In verse 2, it says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. What, what did that mean, that, that Jehoiakim was in his hand? According to 2 Kings 24 and verse 1, it says, In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up, and Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. And what does that mean? It means that Jehoiakim pledged allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar, promised to pay him tribute. Whatever you need, I'll, I'll supply. Whatever rich, riches we have, they're at your disposal. And as an acknowledgement that Nebuchadnezzar was in charge, they paid him a tribute, an annual tribute. Jehoiakim retained a position of authority, but he was really a puppet of Babylon and everybody knew it. He was even publicly disgraced before the nation. Over in 2 Chronicles 36 and verse 6, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up against him, bound him with a bronze chain to take him to Babylon. You know, apparently he, he released him after he pledged allegiance, but the whole nation has seen the king in chains, you know, kind of like bound by the nose to be led away to, to Babylon. So everybody's seen him disgraced. You know, that's one of those images you can't, you know, how, how do I unsee what I have seen, right? You know, if I've seen the, 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 you know, the, the, the leader of my nation bound up like an animal and being carted around, like, like who could not, you know, get rid of that image? Like, there, there's no way I can get rid of that image. It's kind of burned on your, your memory. They've seen their king humiliated. Jehoiakim was disgraced, gave his allegiance to Babylon. Then he gave up the vessels of silver and gold from the house of God, vessels that were not just the treasures of Israel, they were the items of worship. He gave them up. Daniel 5.2 lets us know they were fashioned from silver and gold. These were items of great value. Gave those up to Nebuchadnezzar. And then finally, he gave up the best of his people. Daniel 1, look at verse 3. It says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. Where, let me ask you a question. Where, where do you get royal family from? <laughs> You get it from the king's house. They came into the king's house. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whoop you in your own backyard. I'm going to come in your house and take what I want. Took the, the royal family, the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding, discerning knowledge, who had ability for serving in the king's court. He ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food. As a king, it would have been your duty to protect your citizens, right? That's what, what Israel wanted, right? They're saying, hey, we want, a, we want a king like everybody else. We want a king like the nations around us. We want a king to defend us. And here's the king just giving over the best that he has over to another nation. Releasing the, the best citizens that he has. People from his own household. Royal family. Nobles. Releasing them. To Babylon. Here you have Jehoiakim giving his citizens up. He's, he's not a protector. He's a pretender. And it becomes clear as you read throughout this narrative that the Daniel and his friends haven't, they're not the ones who've done anything wrong. <laughs> their exile has nothing to do with their own personal sins, but they're carried away because of the sins of their nation. And even more particularly, the sins of their leaders. Josiah was a good king according to 2 Kings 23, but uh, why don't you flip over there, 2 Kings uh, chapter 23, just to show you what the Lord said about the leadership in Israel during this time. 2 Kings chapter 23, take a look at verse 25. Speaking about Josiah in verse 25, it says, Before him there was no king like him. He turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. Nor did any like him arise after him. However, the Lord did not turn from the fierceness of his great wrath, with which his anger burned against Judah, because of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him. This is an earlier king. The Lord said, I will remove Judah also from my sight, as I have removed Israel. And I will cast off Jerusalem, this city which I have chosen, and the temple of which I said, my name shall be there. What, what are the sins of Manasseh? Flip back to chapter 21. 
Chapter 21, look at verse 2. Speaking about Manasseh, look at, look at his legacy. Verse 2. It says, He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed and erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah as Ahab king of Israel had done, worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. For he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And look at verse 6. He made his sons pass through the fire. What, what, what does that mean? He offered up his children as sacrifices to his false gods. Allowed his children to pass through the fire. Practiced witchcraft and used divination and dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And God says, you know what? I, I can't ignore that. I, I can't ignore the sins that have happened here in this nation. And even the brief revival under Josiah wasn't enough to turn the anger of the Lord away from Judah. And the death of, of Josiah would actually prove to be a judgment against the people of God. Josiah postponed the judgment, but he could not prevent it. Judgment had to fall. And part of the reason why judgment had to fall is because Manasseh was bold enough to even offer up his own children upon the sacrifice. If, if you don't make any kind of connection between that and what's happening in our nation today, where we're sacrificing our own children, and God is not blind. God sees what's going on in our nation. God can't ignore what's happening in our nation. After Josiah died, he was followed by three wicked sons. Jehoahaz, we already spoke about him. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. Next was Jehoiakim, who also did evil in the sight of the Lord. His last son was Zedekiah, who did evil in the sight of the Lord. Manasseh, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Zedekiah, evil, 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 evil. Proliferated evil among the nation. And scripture specifically says the Lord would not turn his wrath away. And I'm not saying here that there's always a one-to-one -one correlation you know, between the, the evil that somebody else does and what we experience, the evil of a leader and what the nation experiences. What I'm clearly saying is this, is that we need to consider how the sins of a nation affect the citizens of a nation. And could we say along with Daniel, what he says in chapter 9, we've sinned. We haven't listened. I, I, I understand why this would happen to us. I understand why we would experience tragedy. Why? Because we're a sinful nation. Why would we expect the protection and blessing of God when we continue to sin against him? Maybe not because we've personally sinned, but we experience the consequences of the sins all around us. We understand that every man will answer for his own sins. Every tragedy is not connected to the sins of, you know, my sins or my parents' sins. I don't pay for the sins of others. Thank God we have a sin bearer who does pay for our sins. But I am affected by the sins of others. We're, we're, we're swept away just like Daniel and his friends were swept away in the judgment of God. Manasseh's wickedness affected the nation as did Jehoiakim's. And just, just real quickly, flip over to Jeremiah 22, just to show you the kind of person that... Uh, Jehoiakim was. Jeremiah 22. Look at verse 13. There's God's message. Woe to him who builds his house without righteousness, his upper rooms without justice, verse 13, who uses his neighbor's services without pay, does not give him wages, who says, I will build myself a roomy house with spacious upper rooms and cut it out its windows, paneling it with cedar, painting it red. Do you become a king because you're competing in cedar? Do not your father, did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Speaking about Josiah. Then it was well with him. He pled the cause of the afflicted and needy. Then it was well. It's not that what it means to know me, declares the Lord, but your eyes and your heart are intent only upon your own dishonest gain, on shedding innocent blood, on practicing oppression and extortion. Therefore, thus says the Lord in regard to Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they will not lament for him. Alas, my brother, or alas, sister, they will not lament for him. Alas, for the master, or alas, for his splendor. He will be buried with a donkey's burial, dragged off and thrown out beyond the gates of Jerusalem. And if you remember, it was uh, Jehoiakim 
if you flip over to chapter 36, who also received a, a word from a prophet, <laughs> received the scroll of Jeremiah. Look at chapter 36. It says, In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take a scroll and write on it all the words which I have spoken to you concerning Israel, concerning Judah, and concerning all the nations. From the day I first spoke to you, from the days of Josiah, even to this day, perhaps the house of Judah will hear all the calamity which I plan to bring on them in order that every man will turn from his evil way. Then I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. Basically, he's saying, I'm willing to postpone this if you listen. Judgment is coming, but I'm, I'm willing to postpone it if you would turn to me. Look at verse 22, chapter 36. It says, Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with the fire burning in the brazier before him. When Jehudi had read three or four columns, the king cut it with a scribe's knife and threw it into the fire. That's, that's what he thought about God's word. Cut it up and threw it in the fire that was in the brazier until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the brazier. Yet the king and all the servants who heard all these words were not afraid, nor did they rend their garments, even though Elnathan and Deliah and Gamaria pleaded with the king not to burn the scroll. He would not listen to them. Does a nation suffer because its leaders refuse to listen to the word of God? Absolutely. Jeremiah 26. Flip over to Jeremiah 26. Look at verse 20. It says, Indeed, there was also a man who prophesied in the name of the Lord. Uriah, the son of Shemaiah, from Kiriath-Jerim. And he prophesied against this city and against this land, words similar to all those of Jeremiah. When King Jehoiakim and all his mighty men and all the officials heard his words, then the king sought to put him to death. But Uriah heard it, and he was afraid and fled and went to Egypt. Then King Jehoiakim sent men to Egypt. Elnathan, the son of Akbor, and certain men with with him went into Egypt, and they brought Uriah from Egypt and led him to King Jehoiakim, who slew him with a sword and cast his dead body into the burial place of common people. What did uh, King Jehoiakim think about the word of the Lord? He, he took the prophet and he slew him. That's what he did. Took the word of God and he burnt it. And God may even use a, a ruler in a nation more wicked than itself to bring judgment about <laughs> When another nation comes and takes the sons of Judah into exile, Daniel's not wondering why. Why has this happened? He says it's because we've sinned. Look at, look at our leaders. Look at the nation. Look at the sins that we've committed. This is why this is happening. Why does tragedy strike? I don't have to think and wonder why. Look at the sins that we've committed. And Nebuchadnezzar was brought as the, the arm of the Lord to bring about this judgment. Just quickly, let's take a look at Nebuchadnezzar, the king. Nebuchadnezzar, this is Babylon the Great. He and his father helped to rebuild Babylon. It was magnificent, a magnificent city. One author says Babylon was a spectacular city in a completely different category from anything a young man from Judah could ever have seen or imagined. It was, in fact, the largest city in the world at that time, covering two. 1,500 acres compared with the vast metropolis, Daniel's capital city, Jerusalem must have seemed very small indeed. The, the walls were broad. The wall was 45 feet thick, served as an expressway for chariots to drive around the wall. The Euphrates River flowed beneath the walls and at the same time filled a moat that surrounded the city. There were huge gate bars which went down to the bottom of the riverbed to prevent enemies from attacking and entering. The circumference of the wall measured 11 miles and formed the perimeter of the city. Daniel, Ezekiel, and all the captives probably entered through what was known as the Ishtar Gate. The Ishtar Gate was a gate that led to a processional way, the main artery of the, the city, limestone squares measuring three and a half feet on each side, and engraved with the, the words to the honor of Marduk, the god of Babylon. Captives would have walked through this great city, vast city, would have been introduced to the language and learning of Babylon. They boasted of their learning in Babylon. We actually still refer uh, to the writings of Babylon in some of our uh, laws and universities even today. 
city of idols. Babylon was a city of idols, filled with idols. Even the names of its citizens pointed back to their false gods. Nebuchadnezzar meant something like, Nabu has guarded my boundary stone, referring to his false gods. Changed the name of all the Hebrew boys to, to reflect the names of their gods. Their chief deity was Marduk, and there were well over a thousand temples in Babylon. A thousand temples, all named after different deities. They had gods of gold, silver, bronze, wood, stone. All deities that they were worshiping, serving. They also were involved in the the mystic arts. They were very mystical people. Nebuchadnezzar surrounded himself with wise men, magicians, conjurers, sorcerers, diviners, Chaldeans, which would have been some kind of spiritist from uh, the, the tribe of uh, uh, the Chaldeans in the, in the south where Nebuchadnezzar came from. He surrounded himself with people who could, you know, speak to the dead and, you know, uh, interpret dreams and things like this. They're looking for, for some kind of connection with the, the supernatural, looking for some kind of supernatural connection. But uh, he was about to find out that he couldn't trust in all these things. <laughs> He couldn't trust in his mystic arts in order to gain true peace. When he was disturbed by a dream, you know, he talked to all the magicians and conjurers that he could, but nobody was able to tell him what his dream was or what it meant. He couldn't trust in them. He wouldn't be able to trust in his gods, all the thousand deities that he had all around. Daniel's friends wouldn't bow, and he saw in the, the fire one like the Son of Man. He says, uh, what God is there who can save you out of my hands? And he found out that there is a God in heaven who's above all of his gods. He couldn't trust in his gods. He wouldn't be able to trust in the magnificence of his, his kingdom, all the splendor that he had in Babylon. He wouldn't be able to trust in that. When speaking about the majesty of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, uh, he speaks about how, uh, you know, this is Nap- uh, uh, Babylon that I've built with my own hands. Isn't this Babylon the great? Actually, Daniel speaks about the greatness of the kingdom of Babylon. He says, you've become great, grown strong. Your majesty has become great, reached the sky, your dominion to the end of the earth. But even that sovereignty was taken away from him. And he couldn't even trust in his reason because he was about to be given the mind of an ox. Daniel 4, 16, let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. As impenetrable as Babylon seemed, with the river flowing right through the middle of the city, the gate bars coming down, you know, this impenetrable fortress, the Medo-Persian Empire would find a way to divert the river. (laughs) Instead of allowing the river to come through the middle of the city, they'd divert the river until the river was dried up so they could walk right underneath the gate. There's always someone who's bigger, tougher, quicker, more skilled, and more determined than you are. Even somebody who's inferior to you. You know, I don't know anybody who would rank Buster Douglas over Mike Tyson, but uh, he still defeated him. (laughs) Still defeated him. Daniel 2 and verse 37 says, you, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. Wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. Speaks of Nebuchadnezzar and says, you're the, the greatest of all the kings of the kingdoms that will follow. You, you are the head of gold. God has given to you the kingdom, the power, the strength, the glory. And after you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you. They, they didn't have, he, God didn't have to defeat him by a kingdom that was superior to him. I'll take you out with a kingdom that's inferior to you. Babylon rose like a rocket and fizzled out all in the space of about 87 years. 87 years, this great nation, superpower, defeated Assyria, defeated Egypt, and in 87 years, it was off the map. The Medo-Persian Empire came in and took it over. 87 years, God raised it up for a purpose and took it down. The rise and fall of a nation. 626, Nabopolassar was declared the king. 539, Cyrus takes over the Babylonian Empire. All so quick. All so quick. Rise and fall. Why? Because Babylon was also lifted up in pride. Drinking out of the vessels of the house of God, 
Belshazzar, who followed Nebuchadnezzar, didn't even acknowledge the God of heaven. And just as quickly as God took him up, God took him down. And God can and does do the same thing even today. Which is why we as his people need to humble ourselves before this great and awesome God. Amen. And confess our sins before him. And I think Nebuchadnezzar actually finally got it. In Daniel chapter 4, in verse 34, after he was humbled, after his mind was changed to like that of a beast, in verse 34, look at what he says. He says, But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And this kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me and my majesty and splendor were restored to me. For the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. That's what he says in verse 37. Now, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are true and his ways are just, and he's able to humble those who walk in pride. May may we hear the leaders of of our nation say the same. Amen? (laughs) Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, so much for uh, just this introduction to the book of Daniel again, Lord, as we uh, think about Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, the nations that have risen and fallen. Oh, Father, we recognize that uh, we live in a, in a time where we're, we're hanging on a slender thread of your mercy. And Father, all around us, we see those that reject you, that deny you, uh, that sin against you, uh, that, that seek to, to change laws in order to, uh, to make right wrong and wrong right. My Father, we, we live in the midst of an adulterous and wicked generation. And Father, when tragedy strikes, we shouldn't be surprised. But we should come humbly before you and, and cry out in the same way that, that Daniel did. As he, he cried out, as he, he saw what, what he was swept up in, even though he himself wasn't the one who sinned. As he cried out, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant, loving kindness for those who love him, who keep his commandments, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is this day. So, Father, I pray that even though many around us won't pray, won't confess their sins, Father, I pray that we would, that we would acknowledge you, that we would humble ourselves before the great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. You have been listening to George Lawson Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs, and digital files.